Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. Okay, so we're now on to the role of rescuer and coach. This is my part of the drama triangle that led us all to be therapists. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted to rescue you. Only kind of joking on that one. Just a little bit. Just depends on who's talking. So we've been discussing the different roles of what drama triangle and empowerment dynamic look like. And with drama triangle, we've already gone over persecutor and victim. And now we're on this really interesting role of rescuer, which to many people, I'm going to be honest, I hear a lot of people, I think I've mentioned about a different role too, empaths. They say, well, I'm just an empath. And really what they're describing is the not healthy role of being a rescuer. Okay. Just something to be said about rescuer role is that the role of rescuer looks like, I do not trust you to meet your own needs. Therefore, I'm going to meet them for you. Right. And I I actually love that we're bringing this up after we did attachment styles and we talked about codependence Mm -hmm. because this is exactly the reason people say my health, my relationship is really healthy when it's not. And it's because you're in rescuer because there's three, like, like Haley was saying, there's kind of three main things. Rescuers are always about, let me help you because you can't do it yourself. I can fix you. I know how to do this. And then everyone else is more important than me. Like, I don't need to work on myself. I just need to be the most angelic person known to the world. The interesting mm-hmm. thing about the rescuer part of the drama triangle, where victim seems the most helpless, but has the most power in the drama triangle the rescuer seems the most powerful, but has the least power. So people get into relationships where they rescue people because it feels powerful, it feels good. But then over time, the person uh, won't be rescued, can't be rescued, put in whatever verb you want. And then they become frustrated and become angry because why won't you get better? Or they get better and then they no longer have someone to rescue. And so the relationship falls apart. I also want to go real quick into this idea too. Rescuers appear to put other people first. However, they are stating and they're saying other people more important, but they are the ones who are stating they have the most power to be able to help the other person. So there's like this faux modesty with that. I'm simply here to serve. Service is just my thing. When actuality, what they're saying is, I feel like I have the most power of the scenario to be able to control the situation. So I'm going to continue to rescue because again, I doubt your ability. It's faux humility born from shame, mm-hmm. often born from trauma. Yeah. Well, and I want to add too that you see the exact same dynamic though in pa- the parent-child relationship, right? So everyone else is more important is something we see parents do a lot. Like I don't need to take care of myself as long as my children are succeeding. And that's not out of humility. That's out of like what they would call, um, you know, sacrifice and those kinds of things. But -hmm. what you're really teaching is there's always an up down dynamic in the relationship and that your children have only one. Their their only options are either to be the victim. Right. Of and and stay helpless or they will always need a rescuer and they never shift. 
Well, I think you're mentioning too, that's an unhealthy parent dynamic, right? So a healthy parent dynamic is saying, I know more than you do. Let me help you. So that way you can also be able to meet me on this level eventually. Now they're not saying a two-year-old needs to meet them at the level now, but they're saying like, I'm playing the long game. I'm helping you with the knowledge I have so that I can get you to the point when you are in adulthood. I'm helping you get, I'm playing the long game to help you to get to that point of adulthood where you're able to be not my equal in the sense of like, I, you no longer need a parent, but not in the same way. Right. So it's the same way of saying that, you know, we'll get into coach, which is the opposite of saying like, you're going to be able to do this eventually. I'm going to help you now, but you're going to be able to do this, or I'm going to help walk you through so you can do this. Right. But an unhealthy parent dynamic is saying, I have to have control over this because you'll never have that control. Right. And I just, I just need to put you guys first so that I can always, you know, take care of you. That's an unhealthy parent dynamic. So it's good to recognize two healthy parenting styles versus unhealthy parenting styles. And unfortunately, sometimes for the quote sake of time and such, we go into the unhealthy parenting styles because it's so much quote easier to just do it myself. Right. And I'm, I'm the worst with that, not a parent. But I do this in general with most of the things I do where it's like, it's just easier for me to do myself, right? But that's an unhealthy rescuer style rather than what we're going to talk about is the healthier coach style. I think it's I think it's interesting because a lot of people um, think, well, somebody's really hurt and I should go in and help. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you shouldn't go in and help. That's not what we're saying when we say let's shift out of the drama triangle into the empowerment dynamic. We're saying, I like to use the analogy of like playing some kind of sport, right? Your job is not to get on the field and play the position. Your job is to tell them how to play the position and to see the bigger picture. And that's the same thing that I would say to a parent. Your job is not to go in and live your kid's life. Your job is to help them get the skill and knowledge to live their best life. And sometimes that even means I'm not the right coach for my kid or my partner or whoever, because I don't need to be the one that fixes it. Rescuers need to be the one that fix it. And when we move into coach, it says, I a hundred percent, I see you as a capable person. You're capable of creating what you want to create. It probably will be hard and it will take some work, but that doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me that you might be a little bit uncomfortable and that you might have to learn things through experience. My job is to help guide you. And I don't ever, one of the things I say is don't ever get on the field during the game. And um, how to guide, I think an important thing in all the things you read about coach, you facilitate clarity by asking questions. You are not giving them facts. You're not giving them a step to guide. Like, you know, you're you're looking at it and saying, how are you going to do this? So how would that work better for you if you did it a different way, right? You are using questions because you are then enabling that person. Like Jen said, they are capable. They're able to do that. You are enabling that other person to make those decisions for themselves. They aren't going to succeed because they followed you step by step. Yep. Don't do something for someone else that they can do for themselves. Mm -hmm. Don't work harder than they work. Things like that. And it's interesting because a lot of people who step into the role of, um, life coach they go in and they tell you how to do things and that is very much about a rescuer versus actual coaching which is where we're listening to what you're doing we're encouraging you to go do the information it's a very personal relationship and it would be very hard to do it um, on large scale 
but we're listening for feedback. We're not fixing. We're saying, hey, is that working for you? If so, why or why not? What do you want to keep? What do you not? This is, we're very focused on, I should say it this way. We're very focused as coaches on choices and options. And helping people come up with their own options. And if after everything has been exhausted and people jump way too quick into thinking someone has exhausted their own idea of options, like only speak when your words improve the silence. So even if it takes them a few days of thinking, not three seconds of silence then say, Hey, have you thought about this mm-hmm. or, you know, what else might be an option? And that's optimal coach. Like sometimes we don't, we're learning how to be a coach. And so there's going to be different degrees, like with all of these going from a drama triangle perspective to an empowerment dynamic, where you are going to by degrees, learn how to be more and more confident in that empowerment dynamic at the beginning of being a coach, switching from a, you know, a rescuer to a coach, you might see someone in pain and then immediately be like, so what are you going to do? Right. And kind of try that out instead of saying, well, this is what you should do. Right. As you get more confident in the role, you can do exactly what Taylor's saying and waiting and saying, you know, I'm going to let you sit in your own discomfort for a little bit and you work on what you need to work on. And if you do need me after, after so much time, I'm going to suggest you look at it, you know, in ask yourself this question. Right? Some people try to rescue through persecutor. Mm-hmm. They try to punish someone into being better. Okay. You're never going to amount to anything. If you don't get your homework done, you're never going to be able to graduate. Um, and more seriously, not talking about the consequences of our actions, but trying to shame someone or, Hey, you lost your wife because you're such a terrible husband and you're never going to be able to have a healthy relationship. Um, and they just keep hitting shame and shame and shame and shame. And no one will ever be rescued that way. I think it's interesting. Um, one of the things that we look at is that sometimes we want to be the coach, but we're not the right person to be the coach, right? Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit in the persecutor challenger phase is that when you have a boundary or you can't align with someone's goals, Um, or you don't have the right information or skill, a coach is really okay with stepping back and saying, I don't have to be the one who fixes this. I, I can let someone else help you do this. But a good coach, there's a couple things you'll look for. Somebody who cares about you as a person and your overall can align with your goals. So if my goal is to learn to run I'm not going to use a coach who's never done it before, right? I'm going to go find somebody who's, who knows how to do it and can transfer that skill and knowledge. But I'm also not looking for somebody who's going to hold my hand and just walk with me every step. I'm looking for somebody who's going to give me the skills, practices, and knowledge to learn this skill myself. Coaches also really good coaches acknowledge success as your success versus their success. Mm -hmm. As you have um, older teenagers and you have adult children, a coach looks like being a consultant, that you wait to be asked for advice. Unsolicited advice is only ever criticism. Yeah, I, I think it's really it's really important to recognize that a good coach is a game changer for somebody who wants to be in that creator mode. So when you do start to naturally shift out of rescue or into coach you're actually going to be able to help and serve more people and one of the 
people you're going to be able to help and serve is yourself. You'll be less in burnout, less in compassion fatigue and those kinds of things that I see, especially a lot of people in helping professions who have the hero mind, the rescuer mindset. They get that compassion fatigue or yeah, compassion fatigue and the burnout because they are too busy rescuing and not doing enough coaching. Mm-hmm. Just like with uh, the victim part of the drama triangle, yes, there is the term victim and victim triangle, and then there are people that are victimized, that they are victims of crime, things like that. We're talking about two different kinds of victim. With the rescuer, yes, some people need to be rescued by a, from a burning building, things like that. You know, absolutely call nine one one. That's not the kind of rescuing we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right, and and a good question is: Is there imminent danger? Right. That's one of the things that as therapists that I've had to learn, is there an imminent danger? And I respond different to imminent danger than I do to longstanding problems. Yeah. If your child is in the middle of a road and a car is coming, don't be like, sweetie, can you look both ways and see if maybe you need to do something different? Run and yell and then process that trauma for both of you afterwards. Yeah. You don't need to say, is this a good idea? (laughs) And then be like, no, okay, come here. But then don't go into this place where, oh, you can never go near a road again. Then take the appropriate skills for wherever their age is to say, here's what it looks like to be around a road and be safe. And that's where you Mm -hmm. move into coach. But again, imminent danger, absolutely do what you need to do. But also remember that imminent danger is something you you can over think if you're an anxious person so for example if i see somebody and i'm like oh my gosh this person is not being wise with their money they're totally not going to have enough money for their rent in two months and i go in and i like start to help out that's not imminent danger that's that's heroing where if they come to me and they say hey i'm worried i can say okay let me let me show you a couple books or do a couple things and um see how that goes and so we're, we're again, not taking on the task, but we're also not preemptively using our anxiety mm-hmm. to then rescue them from ever getting in any situation. If we over-function for people, they will under-function. Yeah. And this goes into, again, the unhealthy, like, snowplow parenting or helicopter parenting. Nobody's transferring skills in those situations. We want to transfer age-appropriate skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Bottom line, when it comes to rescuer and coach, it's about looking and saying, is my desire to serve them in this moment or is my desire to make myself feel better about what's going on? And then once we're able to identify that, you have an easier time deciding what role you want to play. If it is really to serve them, it's going to be, again, it's the idea of like teach a man to fish versus giving him a fish, right? Which one's going to help serve them more? Do I want to feel better about giving someone a fish or do I want to feel better about giving them a treat and then they can then make themselves feel better as many times as they need to. Right. What if they get mad if we don't do it for them? Yeah. And then there's that idea of looking at it and saying, again, that's you creating a boundary because then that's them acting like a persecutor towards you. Right. They're going to, again, with the drama triangle, multiple ways that we use this, they are persecuting you. If you don't do what they are hoping to do, which is to rescue them. Often we don't take on rescuer just because we want to. We're put in that role. So a lot of women whose husbands have addiction issues, they are put into rescuer mode because their husband will say, well, I can't do it. So you're much better at it than I am, right? And vice versa. 
you know, sometimes men are in rescuer mode for their wives as well. We just see that a lot as a typical kind of behavior. Um, but partners are often put in rescuer mode because a, they have their own trauma background of seeing someone not taken care of, or they themselves not being taken care of. So they need to jump into that or B the other partner in the relationship is placing them in that role by using persecution, by using different things, like playing a victim. And that person feels like they need to quote, solve the issue. And so they act as rescuers. So you don't just often just want to come and take over for someone. There's usually a valid reason why, and you get to identify and validate for yourself. Do I want to continue to play this role or do I let them figure out their own thing? Because that in the end is going to help them the most. I was saying that I'm really glad that we did attachment and codependence because as we talk about the drama triangle and how to shift from that to the empowerment dynamic, you'll see that the drama triangle is a very codependent system. We all have to play our roles and run the bases together. And so if I start blaming you and you have to get defensive and go into victim or you have to rescue me. And so it's really important as we look at that and and then go back to our attachments and see that unhealthy attachments or um, dysfunctional attachments have these drama triangle roles. And one of the ways we can improve our relationships is to start using the empowerment dynamic. I think one of the main priorities to look at is that First of all, why am I feeling the need to do this for this person, right? Um, Is it because of myself? Is it because of an outside force of them, other people, whatever? Um, And then deciding for yourself, like, how am I going to take a step back and let them do the work for themselves, but still be a cheerleader on the side and be supportive? Again, not on the field. I'm not doing the work with them on the field. I need to know where I can have my boundary. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We'd love to hear from you.